Welcome to the Traders Network Show. I'm your host, David Nelson. Today's show is being broadcast worldwide from downtown New York City at New York's Harvard Club for iHeartRadio and CBS. I've got a very special guest uh, this afternoon, and he's here on the set with me. Camilo Galvis is the CEO of the Imperative Fund, which focuses on sustainable community development. He also serves as a board member on several family offices and manages the Angelica Fuentes Foundation. Camilo, welcome. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me on your show, David. Camilo, most investment funds are about making money. Your fund seems to have a higher cause. Can you talk us through the mission? Yes, absolutely. So our fund seeks to attempt to eliminate poverty conditions in the communities where we invest then recover 100% of the funds so that we can move on uh, to the next community that can benefit from our approach. You've talked in the past about you know, bringing communities out of poverty in, in literally five years or less. Government can't do that in decades. How are you and your fund gonna do that in such a short period of time? So what we're doing is basically leveraging on the growth of an industry of social enterprises that has boomed in the past decade or so. And many uh, companies and organizations have come about that eventually have learned how to cater to the people at the base of the income pyramid, provide them with some goods and services that have been historically absent from these communities that are described as poor. And what we do is we are basically using them to bundle them together and be able to move into a community, make sure that we fill all the gaps that may exist in terms of, again, access to goods and services, and then do it while also recovering the invested funds. That's an important task, but I've heard you talk in the past about, about the poverty and its definition. You know, all of us think that poverty is, is not having enough money in our pocket, but it's really bigger than that, isn't it? It's absolutely bigger than that. Actually, well, first of all, poverty is something that has not been with humanity forever. It's something that exists a few thousand years ago. And eventually it is just basically, I can summarize it again, as something that is defined by the lack of access to several different, again, goods and services. I, we can talk about access to structural housing, nowadays access to telecommunications and the internet. We can also talk about access to healthcare, uh, not paying a poverty tax, and I can talk a little bit more about that later, um, and obviously having access to clean water, so on and so forth. So as I understand it, in the end, it, it's really not having some of the very basics that so many of us take for granted you know, growing up, having access to those, that's really part of the poverty equation, isn't it? Absolutely. So poverty has been historically measured as a certain amount of money per, per capita per day. However, that leaves out of the understanding and the equation, the fact that if you're somebody who grew up with the same similar conditions to the ones that most of us had in terms of, again, the food security, access to education, so on and so forth, it's going to be very hard for you to argue why are you poor, even if you might not have the required money that is usually uh, used as a measurement uh, uh, variable. Okay, in the end, this is going to come down to money. You're going to have to raise capital. You have to bring investors in. Walk us through the structure, how something like this works. Okay, so the, the first part, an important part, is acknowledging that there are enough social enterprises right now in the world for you to choose from that are eventually not only sustainable, but generating quite interesting returns on average 12% per investment. However, the most important thing here is not only making money as a return, but the, in eliminating poverty, we've always had a constraint. We ran out of funding. I can go back to the initial question that you asked for governments and how can they be efficient. They're managing such large as, uh, populations in poverty that it's very hard to be able to do something about it. What we want to do and what we are already working on is going into a community, we invest the funds, we're already working with that community without the need of government intervention at a 5% yield and return, then we get the money back. and 
with the possibility of also a higher margin if, if, if we are to define some speci uh, specific conditions with governments. But going back to that, the way in which we operate is we talk to the companies, bundle them together, organize them in a specific chronological order, and then we lend the money to the companies so that they can go into the community and service that community. I, I want to go into that, and I, I've heard you talk about this in the past, how important that order is, a series of steps that you go through. Walk us through that. So for the specific community that we're working in right now in Mexico, uh, approximately 2,000 people, uh, 400 households or so, what we're doing is we're starting from scratch. We're building, we're starting with structural housing. From then, once we have an infrastructure, we move in to bring the internet through a mesh uh, put together by That seems pretty people. important, the internet, having access to broadband. How many communities out there? Are there a lot of communities that today don't have that? Uh, most of them. I mean, really? uh, if we're talking about, for example, a country like Mexico, it's 130 million people. Approximately 45% of them are estimated to live under poverty conditions. And out of those uh, 60 million odd people, um, you're eventually going to realize that at least 30 to 40 million of them are going to depend on something that they call cyber cafes which are a mom-and-pop shop with an internet connection that is serving basically a community of 10,000 people per computer or so. So in bringing the internet, it's not only about releasing uh, the, 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 the power of information to everyone. However, it's also a, a very important tool for us eventually to remain connected to the community while we do our work, understand that everything is being deployed accordingly, and once we move out of a community, remain connected to them for maintenance purposes. All right, you've got to identify a community, all right? So it has to have certain attributes. How do you find a community that really could use your services and could use the investment, and one also where you know that you can promise maybe a high degree of success for your investors? So right now, the, the first and most important thing that we start deploying is obviously structural housing, actually being able to have an infrastructure as opposed to carton boxes and metal sheets, which usually make up most of the, of the structure, the infrastructure in these sort of communities. And we do this by starting to work with an enterprise that already has a presence in the communities that we, uh, we go into. Uh, one needs to be aware that the people that we are catering to are people who only have a first name, a last name, a last name and maybe a wrinkled bill in their pockets from a day's worth of work. So trust is fundamental in order to be able to, I mean, talk to the leaders and make sure that we can schedule uh, a payment and a repayment schedule. Having said that, the reason why we start with housing is twofold. First of all, they already have a presence in that community. They know them, they have worked with them for more than 20 years. Uh, default rates are l less than one and a half percent. And if this sounds of, of interest, the default rate in- That seems pretty low, one and a half percent. It compares very well uh, against, for example, the three and a half percent that you have in a place like the United States for, for people with actually accredited history. So, uh, but the, the second reason why we start working with them is because for the first six months, they put together a workshop with the people who subscribe to become part of the project, the people who want to move now into what we're developing so that they are taught how to save. I, I want to stop it right there because it's getting kind of interesting. We're going to take a short commercial break and we'll be right back. I'm David Nelson. Welcome back to the show. I'm David Nelson, your host. We're sitting here with Camilo Galvez, CEO of the Imperative Fund. Camilo, I, I want to go into to the debt structure because I've heard you talk about that. It's kind of unique. Explain to us the type of debt that you use in a fund like this. The first thing is to understand the components. So we have a community of beneficiaries who are eventually going to get access to a bundle of goods and services. Then we also have the social enterprises which are going to be present, uh, deploying these goods and services. And then uh, we have us who are taking, are, are in charge of the strategy of how these services are deployed, but we also manage the funds. 
So we lend the funds to the social enterprises, then they do the work that they know how to do well by working with people under, under certain given conditions like the ones in these communities. And they are the ones in charge of recovering those funds and paying us back. So as an additional layer of provision of cushion for our investors, we have an agreement with the social enterprises that upon the case or given the case that they cannot get the money back, eventually we're going to switch that debt into equity so that we can recover again our funds. Funds protect your investors. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. So that's the debt converting part of the fund. All right. You're out there attracting capital. So this is, from what I can see, it's an alternative investment vehicle. So certain people can invest in this. How does somebody learn about it? How do they, how do they invest in the fund? Is there a place for them to go to learn more about it? Yeah, absolutely. So I would invite them first to go to imperativefund.com. We have a quite detailed explanation on the project that we're getting started and what the conditions are for investors to become part of the equation. And at the end of the day, what we try to tell people is that we now have a mechanism that achieves two things. The first one is that poverty elimination is all about sustainability. If we can go into a community, eliminate all poverty conditions, and recover the funds so that we can go into another community, we can keep on doing this for as long as there are poor communities in the world. And that is fundamental to the equation. The second part is that even if just 0.001% of your entire portfolio, uh, epsilon as, we, as, as, as it's called in the mathematical world, is allocated into the work that we're doing, you can happily go to bed thinking that your, your, your funds, your money are wor constantly working in bringing people out of poverty. The question of government is obviously going to come up in, in, in something like this. Do you want them to be a partner? Is it important to the fund that they become a partner, or can you go it alone? We made a big effort and this, in making sure that the project is self-sustainable without the requirement of government funds or, or any sort of subsidies. However, we are having talks right now to try to get to an arrangement where if we can start defining uh, predetermine a set of objectives and goals to reach, like for example, say in two years' time in this given community, 95% of people are going to have access to structural housing, 100% of them have access to the internet, we lower the costs of the basic food basket by 35%, so on and so forth. We have an arrangement of a pay for success framework in which rather than getting them to have to take money out of their budgets, we would like to get from them some tax subsidies that we can eventually use to, 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 to or sell uh, as a title to the holder, stretching a little bit more that return, that 5% return that we currently have for investors to maybe around an 8%. So all in all, we would like to become the outsourcing alternative for governments for social mobility. If this starts to take off, there's going to be copycats. People are going to do this. Do you think that as a, do you view that as competition or will it validate your business model? I think that that will be the ultimate measure of our success. What we're trying to do here is bring the efficiency of the open market economy to eventually deal with uh, social mobility. And competition has always been one of the fundamental pillars of, 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 of a free market. So if in 20 years from today, a couple of decades, we get to see that there are five companies competing each, with each other against each other eventually to bring people out of poverty as rapidly as possible uh, in the most efficient manner uh, with the longest perspectives for sustainability. I think that that would be kind of a utopia and we would love to, to be living in that world. I would imagine there's a lot of communities around the world. Uh, where are you looking right now? Where, where are you concentrating to, to get most of your business? So right now we think that Mexico is, is a great place to, to work at because of the, condi the specific conditions. We feel very comfortable. We know a lot of social enterprises. We have done a rigorous analysis in terms of how to manage to do the entire work in at least, with at least, at least 60 million people in Mexico. We put together a very thorough, rigorous academic model 
that maximizes, provided that you have limited resources, it maximizes the number of people that you can bring out of poverty while maximizing the yield out of the communities that we've analyzed in Mexico. And if you do that, you, go, you first go into a batch of communities where you know you're bringing... Can you put a number on that? How many communities are we talking about? Approximately 80,000. 80, Say that again? 80,000 communities. 80,000 communities. Yes. That's an enormous number. You guys will never be out of business if you're doing that. Uh, I, th I, th I think that the most important part is eventually not only being able to do the work on a community basis, but also understanding how to approach the entire, uh, working with the 80,000 communities from what we call optimality, making sure that we're bringing as many people out of poverty while getting the best possible yield, so that again, we end up with the largest chunk of resources that, we can, that allow us to go back again at the same size. You know, we didn't talk about it, but I want to bring up the, the, the subject of money and how much money needs to be raised. For just one investment, one community, how much money are we talking about? So right now we're talking about, I mean, if we start with the current project, it's $4 million to be deployed in a community of 2,000 people. And that's enough. That can get the job done. That can get the job done. Uh, in 24, month, 24 months, you will have all the services deployed and we are giving the community up to 60 months to pay us back. So altogether it's five years uh, with the money coming in and out. However, we can optimize over that so that after the third year or so, we can already start moving funds to another community. And that is part of the work that we're trying to achieve. Make sure that we have this funding constantly circulating through the communities, getting the return that we expect to get, making sure that we're bringing people out of poverty at an industrial scale and at an industrial pace. Is there anything that the, the government, the, the head of the local community, should fear from an investment fund like this? Can they be your partner? On the contrary, I think that we could make a, a great team uh, so that they can very, better allocate their resources to the work that eventually is not covered here in terms of general infrastructure uh, or what a country requires, uh, focusing on education, for example, while we would take on the job of making sure that those uh, relatively simple things that we take up, uh, for granted, such as internet, housing, uh, clean water, and so on and so forth, can be provided from the efficiency and the, the cost efficiency in particular of the private sector as opposed to the public sector. We've probably only got a little time left. Uh, you know, there must have been a singular moment, a moment in time when this, you had this brainchild and this came to you as a, a new type of investment vehicle. We've got 30 seconds, can you give it so to So it actually quick? happened because we started working with a lot of social enterprises, starting the work that they were doing. We worked with them very hard and after a few years we realized that although we were doing something, we were not changing anything structurally. So it was an epiphany, wow. but it was not necessarily a good epiphany. Okay. It's that we're gonna have to leave it right there. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, David. We've been speaking with Camilo Galva, CEO of the Imperative Fund. By the way, a quick thank you goes out to 1-800-publicrelations.com for all the PR and media support. Thanks for joining, I'm David Nelson.